One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, They went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. One of my favorite graduation speeches is by Admiral William McRaven. It was given in 2014 to the graduating class of the University of Texas. In that speech, he briefly described some of his training to become a U.S. Navy SEAL and join that elite group of battle-ready warriors. For people who don't know what a U.S. Navy SEAL is, they're highly trained soldiers capable of missions on enemy targets on sea, air and land. Admiral McRaven, in his speech to that class, talked to them about some basic SEAL training and he said every single day he had to pass the exact same test every single morning before he could even leave his barracks. The instructors would come in. He had to pass 
this test to perfection, as did everyone in the unit that was undergoing the training. It was simply this. Was his bed made correctly? The, in, the instructors would trek, check the corners, that the corners were folded exactly as he'd been trained to do, that the pillow was exactly centred on the headboard, that the spare blanket was folded properly and at the foot of the bed. It was a simple, repetitious, ordinary task. And this was considered to be an ins indispensable component of training to produce elite warriors. McRaven, in his speech to that graduating class, urged them to develop the self-discipline to complete the ordinary things every day in order to become world changers. He said to them, the best thing you can do at the start of the day is to get up and make your bed properly. And then go out to face the rest of the day. And he said, even if you come home and you've had a lousy day, your bed will be there waiting for you and you'll have started it well and it'll be happy to see you. Ordinary. It's something that uh, we actually don't like to talk a lot about today. In our culture and society, everyone wants to be extraordinary kind of superhuman beings. That's a fantasy. Ordinary nice is what we all are. There's only one extraordinary one, and his name is Jesus. And he's the one we want to fix our gaze and attention on. In 2017, we reworded the mission statement, we tweaked the wording of it, and we wrote this. We said, our mission is to make disciple makers. That's what we need to be about. We want to measure ourselves against that reality. Are we a people who make disciple makers? Now, for some of you, that could be a new phrase, and I want to unpack that for you. This was the, if you like, the mission that Jesus gave his very first graduating class of disciples before his ascension. He put it this way, Matthew records it, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. And Jesus said to them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If we come back to the reading that Julie read to us from Mark, focus on verses 16 through to 20s. If you've got your Bible there, open it up. It's a very ordinary scene. The location is on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is taking a walk on the edge of the shore of the Sea of Galilee and people are going about their ordinary everyday lives. Mark has told us in the verses before this that Jesus' message, the thing that he's proclaiming is this. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, which means return to full obedience to God and believe the good news. Believe the reality that God is coming as king to rule in triumph over the world. This is the message that Jesus comes onto, this, onto the earth to proclaim. 
The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. You need to repent. You need to return to the path that God laid out, which is full obedience to him, because he's coming as king. And as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he sees two sets of brothers who are running their fishing businesses. And he says to them, come and follow me. They leave their fishing businesses and they begin to follow Jesus. Now, in case you're thinking there's some kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, some kind of magical force in this, like Jesus is some sort of mystical kind of being and he's able to command people to come. It's a very ordinary reality. Jesus is a rabbi. This is what rabbis do. We could spend a lot of time unpacking rabbinical practices, but I don't want to focus on that this morning. Simon and Andrew and James and John know that they're accepting an invitation from a rabbi to follow him, to travel with him, to learn from him how to obey God. They understand that's what they're being invited to do. This was a process. It was a process that was ordinary and we know that it lasted approximately three years. It was a three-year process. In his book on Christian discipleship titled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson wrote these words. He said, one aspect of the world that he has identified as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. Did you hear what he said? He said, this is a very harmful thing for Christians, that our world has adopted an idea that anything that worthwhile can be acquired at once without much effort. He said this is really harmful because it's actually not the way of Jesus. You think about it from his perspective. If it took Jesus three years of intense focus to train his first disciples, we do not learn to be disciples ourselves overnight and we will not make disciple makers overnight. Peterson goes on and says, religion in our time has been captured by, he calls it the tourist mindset. You know, the, when you're a tourist, you go somewhere uh, and you want to visit the sites, you want to take it all in, uh, when you, and you do it at your leisure when you've got nothing else to do. You travel and you do all those things. He says that Christianity has been captured by that mindset, and to me I think it's true and I also think it's very troubling. Many people are like tourists on a Sunday morning, when they go to a church service, they've come to see the sights, they've come to hear the latest teaching, they've come to experience something new and different and rather than something that's kind of ordinary and consistent. Peterson says that we have become impatient for results and so we've adopted the lifestyle of a tourist. And we only want the high points of Christianity. Peterson rightly says that we cannot mature as Christians with that kind of attitude. And Peterson calls us back, and I want to call us back to the same thing that Peterson calls us to, because it's a biblical thing. Peterson says what we need to recapture is the language about being disciples and pilgrims. Disciples and pilgrims. A disciple is someone who understands that they will spend their life apprenticed to the master, and in this case it's Jesus, 
So we understand that. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I will always be an apprentice of the master, Jesus. And I'm a pilgrim as well, which means I'm someone who is on a journey to somewhere and I've not yet arrived. And Jesus is taking me on that journey. And so I need to follow him. I need to stay close to Jesus so that I don't lose my way. So I need to adopt the, the posture of I'm a disciple. I'm an apprentice of Jesus. And I'm a pilgrim. And Jesus is leading me somewhere, which is to the eternal city, if you like, the kingdom of heaven. All sorts of languages could be used that are biblical. So a question I have for all of us this morning is this. Are you, are you a Christian tourist or would you say you are a disciple and a pilgrim? Just take a moment to think about it. One of the ways that you can tell which you are is what happens when you're under pressure. When a tourist is under pressure, they're out of their environment, they're not sure what to do, the pressure comes and they're at an odds. To find a way to safety. A disciple and a pilgrim is someone who's been with Jesus. When the pressure comes upon them, just as it did in those very first uh, disciples. And we read about this in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John are hauled before the religious scholars in a tribunal. It's a court setting. They're put under incredible pressure. But what what the religious scholars say of them is quite telling. They say, when they look at them, they say, these are ordinary people that have been with Jesus and we can see the effect of them having been with Jesus. And this is one of the ways you know whether you're a disciple or not. When the pressure comes, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your behaviour? Would people say of us, this is an ordinary person that's been with Jesus? That's an acid test. Well... So our mission in New Life Church is to make disciple makers. And I want to say this is not a mission for, if you like, the professionals amongst us, meaning the professional Christian workers like myself. It's the mission of every ordinary Christian, and I'm using that in the ordinary in the full sense of that word. It's the, to make disciple makers is for every single one of us. It's for the dads and the mums. It's for the employed and the unemployed amongst us. It's for the school dropouts and the PhDs. It's for people who work in every occupation, people who work in IT, cleaners, drivers, apprentices, tradesmen, doctors, sales, people who work in health and education and finance. Everywhere we are going, we are meant to be people who are disciples, who are making disciples. It's Peter and John, ordinary people being with Jesus and we are helping other people learn. What's the definition of a disciple maker? Well, here's what I have come to. This is what I've come to after thought, reading, examination, Jesus. That disciple making is a voluntary relational process where someone intentionally helps another person who is curious and motivated to know and obey Jesus Christ more. There's key words in here. Number one, voluntary. Jesus was always Jesus when he was meeting people. He was inviting them to follow him. He was never coercing people. He never forced anyone to follow him. So the first thing about disciple making is that it's voluntary. You can't force someone to become a disciple. It has to be their choice. 
Secondly, it's relational. It means it's up close and personal. It can't be at arm's length. I can't sort of hold you at arm's length. I've got to be up close. Just as the disciples, they walked, and one of the languages that's used, they got covered in the dust of the rabbi. In other words, they're following Jesus so close as he walked on his sandals throughout the roads of Galilee and through Israel that they got covered in his dust. It's a relational, up close, and personal thing. It's a process. It's a lifelong, ongoing journey. That's the language of pilgrim. It's not a, well, just take this six-week course and you're all done. It's lifelong. It's a long obedience in the same direction. There's intentionality about it as well. Jesus was always strategic in what he was doing with his disciples, how he was teaching them, giving them tests, evaluating them, all these kind of things. There's an intentional process that goes on. It's not, you don't drift into being a disciple and you don't drift into being a disciple maker. It's an intentional choice that you make. You say to yourself, if you are the disciple maker, you're saying, how do I help this person move from where they are so that they know and obey Jesus more? If you are the disciple, you are saying, I want you, please teach me how to know Jesus more and how to obey Jesus more. Another bit that's in there. Key word is it's curious and motivated. I, I like these words, not just because I wrote them, but I like them because it, it's this idea that if someone's not curious and they're not internally motivated, I really can't help them. I can't. I can't help you become a disciple if you are not curious and internally motivated. And the final thing is it's about knowing and obeying Jesus more. And this is all about transformation. This is about transformation. It's to become like Jesus. It's that people see that you're an ordinary person, but you've been with Jesus. You've become like Jesus. You've changed in the very nature of what you are. Well, I've been spending some time thinking about the characteristics of disciples and I want to put forward seven to you this morning. Seven characteristics of disciples. Number one, this is how you can evaluate yourself. There's a fascination with Jesus unto transformation like Christ. This fascination of Jesus is where it all starts. The Peter and Andrew and James and John on the Sea of Galilee, they would not have left their fishing businesses if they did not have something going on about a fascination with that rabbi that was walking along the shore and saying, come and follow me. So all discipleship starts with a fascination of Jesus, but it leads to transformation to be like Jesus. If I am following Jesus and not becoming transformed to be like him, there's a problem in the process, there's a problem in my heart. So it's fascination unto transformation with Jesus. Secondly, it's obedience to Jesus in everything. And this goes without saying, because right back, Jesus said when he gave this mission to his disciples, he said, you are my disciples and you go and you teach other people. You make disciples and you teach them to obey everything I commanded you. So the idea that we can pick and choose which bits of things we want to obey that Jesus gave his disciples is a fallacy. It's obedience to Jesus in everything. Thirdly, it's increasing biblical literacy. Now, I'm not meaning that everyone is becoming a biblical scholar. But what I'm meaning is, as you go on this journey as a disciple and as a pilgrim, 
And as you're investing in the reading and saturating yourself on this regular basis, a regular rhythm of being in the scriptures, reading it, learning, understanding, your, your literacy, your familiarity with what the Bible story is, how it all fits together, will grow. Some of you have only been doing it for a short period of time. You're still trying to work out where the books are and you might have a Bible with the tabs in so you can find them all. That's, and that's perfectly fine. Some of you might, not, might be trying to work out all these different things, how it all fits together. How does the prophet, prophetic literature work with the wisdom writings? How do the gospels fit in? How do the epistles or the letters, all these kind of things? How does it all fit together? Perfectly normal, natural things. But as you continue to be a Bible-centered learner, reading the Bible, you begin to see more and more the wonderful way it all fits together and tells one story from creation to Christ to new creation. It's one singular, beautiful story told through 66 books in this library. Number four is you're cultivating a life that's characterized by prayer and worship. Prayer meaning this conversation with God, knowing that I get the privilege of standing before him and speaking to him. And worship, knowing that because I'm fascinated with Jesus, because he's the only one worthy that I want to worship him. Number five is that I'm a characteristic of a disciple. Is I'm someone who is prepared and I'm longing for Jesus' return. Prepared means I know he's coming. I'm ready for that return. In fact, I'm longing for him to come. And that cry in the New Testament, Maranatha, which is, Lord Jesus, you have come. But it's also this other way of saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Um, That's what a disciple is. Number six. This one is perhaps not so familiar for many people. We have embraced the possibility of persecution and martyrdom for Jesus. This is all throughout the New Testament, this reality. A disciple is someone who says, this is not just a possibility. It could very well be a probability. And I've prepared my heart for that day. I've prepared for that reality that I may be called to lay my life down for Christ. That I may be mocked, abused, that I could lose my job simply because I obey Christ. And the disciple is someone who said, He's worthy. He's worthy of that. And finally, it's someone who lives and functions in what we've called biblical priestliness. And our new life is this, that phrase of priestliness. We did some messages on it and go back and re-listen to those. But it's this reality that it's that a different way of saying we are his image bearers. We're called to stand in his presence, to be with him in the garden and to go out and to spread his message and to cultivate the garden. In our daily jobs, in all that we do, we are his priests. We are a kingdom of priests who are doing this work. So what we want to say this morning is these things. I want to leave you with two questions this morning. And it's these two. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you? If you aren't, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to become a disciple of Jesus. And you could simply say, sitting right there where you are standing, you could say, Jesus, I accept your invitation today to come and follow you. I will, I will follow you, Jesus. I'll find someone who can teach me 
how to know and obey you more. I'm going to commit to daily habits of talking with you, Jesus, reading the Bible, filling myself with the knowledge of God. A key characteristic for all disciples, regardless of how long we've been on the journey with Jesus, is humility. We can't become a disciple without humility. And it grieves me in a, to say what I'm about to say, but you could be part of New Life Church and you could have been part of New Life Church for years, but not be a disciple. As much as I've urged you in that direction and all of the teaching that we've given and give push people in that direction, you could actually be someone who's not a disciple. You've been a tourist for years. You come for the show, so to speak. You turn up for the events, but your heart is not really fully submitted to Jesus. And so it's going to take you great humility and courage to say, actually, that, that's, I've been a tourist. But today I want to change and I want to become a disciple. I want to say, do it. In humility means that you won't, you won't pretend that that hasn't been true of you. When you talk with people, when the, when the restrictions are lifted and you can, you can see people, you'll be able to say to them, hey, I realized when I was listening to that message on Sunday that I've been, I've been behaving as a Christian tourist, not a disciple, but on Sunday I decided to become a disciple. And I'm going after Jesus. I'm following him hard now. Fully devoted to him. Do that today. Don't leave it. Don't stay as a tourist. Because eventually you want to become someone who can disciple other people. And the second question is, are you making disciple makers? Uh, this is another question for all of us. And, um, because this is the mission that Jesus gave us. This is the mission that we'll be accountable to if, when we all stand before him. It'd be, I think it would be one of the questions that he asks us. I gave you the mission to make disciples. How did you go with that? What joy it's going to be if you can point to even one. Because one person that you helped as a disciple of Jesus. Parents, this should, you should be able to line your children up. Grandparents, you should be able to line your grandchildren up and say, Here, here's my disciples. Here's the ones I may I raised up as ones to be disciples after you, Jesus. Some of you are going to point to other people, your workmates. You're going to be able to you're going to stand them. You can say, Jesus, this person I sat next to, they were curious and motivated, and I helped them to become your disciple, and they've gone out and made disciples as well. So this question is an important question for us. It's not one that we can brush off and go, well, that's not for me. That's not who I am. It, it's the mission that Jesus gave us all. It's one of the things that the leadership team have been wrestling with all through 2019. And we had the crossroads nights of prayer as a church because the question is, are we a church that's making disciple makers? Are we actually doing that? If the government permanently shut us down and we were unable to meet, have we raised up people 
who can feed themselves, who can continue to grow as disciples? Have we raised up mums and dads Have we, who can teach their children, help their children to become disciple makers of Jesus as well? There are places in the world where that question has been put to them in ways that we can only imagine. There's a sense in which I pray that that test doesn't come to us, but it may come to us. But the, the bigger question and the more important question is, are we, are we people who make disciple makers? Are you? Am I? Am I someone who's doing that? So, they're the questions I want to leave you with today. Are you, are you actually a disciple? And are you making disciple makers? And I want to invite you to close your eyes and to pray with me. And in, that, in this moment, and hopefully there's some stillness where you are, just ask yourself the question, am I a disciple or am I a Christian tourist? Am I someone who makes disciple makers? We're going to return to this topic again next week because it's time for all of us to learn to obey Jesus and make disciple makers. This morning, if you've realized that you're a Christian tourist and not a disciple, I want to invite you to pray your own prayer to Jesus to say words to this effect. Jesus, I repent. I I want to change. I no longer want to live as a tourist who simply turns up to see what's going on. I want to become someone who knows you and obeys you wholeheartedly. Help me, Jesus. And help me find someone who can disciple me. And for... Those of you that would say, yes, I'm a disciple, but I've not, been, I've not been focused on this mission that Jesus gave me to make disciple makers. Tell Jesus you, in your own words, to, Jesus, today I want to change. Today I want, to, I want this mission to make disciple makers that you gave to your first disciples. I want that to burn in me as it burned in them. So help me, help me. And bring someone into my life who's curious and motivated, who I can begin to disciple, who I can begin to teach them about you. So this is our prayer this morning, Jesus, that you will help us. I'm asking for your help for all of us. Yes, to be ones who say yes to you. Yes to obeying you. Shift us. Shift us out of the, out of the mindset that we've, we've adopted. The way that the culture keeps saying to us, things ought to happen quickly. It ought to be spectacular. Help us to recapture the ordinariness as well as the simplicity of just a daily following you, a long obedience in the same direction and teaching people to do the same let us become this Holy Spirit we're confident you will teach us and train us
to do this as we continue on this journey together. It's I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Wayne, thanks for bringing that message. In a sense, it's an ordinary message, but it's a great command and it's a great commission. And it's one of those things that we don't necessarily think about it in the way that the Holy Spirit is urging us and the leadership of New Life Church, pressing us to be actively thinking about this and how are we going to do this and how will we develop a disciple-making culture in New Life Church. In 2004, this is recorded as one of our prophetic words, um, it was actually when we were on holidays at, at a church and at the end of the service, a, a, a man came up to us and he said he felt like the Lord had given us a particular a mandate. He said, this is what I felt like the Lord said. And it was prepare, it was two things, prepare a place for me and I will pour myself in. And the second one was prepare for the harvest. At that time, we didn't have a prayer room. We were really trying to develop a culture of prayer at New Life Church, in New Life Church. But we didn't have the prayer room and we couldn't foresee that actually at that particular moment in time. And God did some things in, the, in, the, in that coming year. And in 2005, after we came back from the International House of Prayer, we started the prayer room. And it took, it wasn't like a year or two or even, I would say, five years. It was longer than that. I think looking back now, how many years later? Good 15. 15 plus years, we can say, Lord, I think we're a church with a culture of prayer. We can say that. Although it looks pretty weak at times. Very ordinary. Very ordinary. But it has become part of our culture. Yeah. And we just sense that the Holy Spirit is moving our gaze now, shifting our gaze to this prepare for the harvest. Not that, that we lose that prayer no, culture. No, no, no. We add to it. Without the prayer culture, yeah. you don't. You, you won't. We won't be able to make disciples. We're sent messengers, and we're sent from His from presence, his presence yes. from that place of gazing on Him and knowing Him. So, next week we're going to put some practical. I think. How does this apply? What do we think yeah, this looks exactly. like yes. into in 2021 for New Life Church? So, Wayne, I just want to thank you for preparing preparing the soil of our hearts. And I encourage you to go back over this message and, and let's examine ourselves. Let's look at those characteristics, those seven characteristics of disciples and ask ourselves, are we making disciples? Is that actually happening? The thing is that Jesus said there's going to be a cost. And you know what? The cost is not just about persecution and laying down our lives. That's the obvious cost. We, we know that. But right here, right now, here in Perth, here in Fremantle, New Life Church, there's a cost to make disciples. It's things like your time. Time with Jesus and time with that person that you're discipling. 
when they call you at times you'd rather not receive calls you know taking that time out of your week saying hey come with me doing what Jesus did so there's a cost but he's stirring us so next week we're going to continue in this talk and really flesh out some practicals and we encourage you to join us we think it's exciting some things are going to unfold a little differently but with God's help culture of prayer and we're going to become a disciple making people a discipleship culture Amen. Amen. just before we close those of you that are on our email list uh, you'll receive notes that accompany the, today's message uh, on email. Some of you, if you've been checking email while I've been speaking, you'll have found them already. Uh, but those notes, if you're not on our mailing list and you'd like them, they'll be available from our website uh, sometime during this week. And we want to thank you for joining us on this special Sunday. And a reminder, the prayer room here in Fremantle will be open at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Wear your mask. We look forward to seeing you there. God bless you all. Bye for now.